Welcome podcast listeners, Humphrey here from Lionheart Football. Today we bring you a taste for football, our series which highlights the world of football scouting and covers the individual experiences and journeys into the game of scouts, recruitment managers and directors of football. This exciting podcast allows us to really get to know the individual stories of those responsible for scouting some of this country's best young football talent. Hello, Humphrey from Line Art Football, and today we are joined by Ben Gascoigne. Ben is the lead pre-academy scout for Plymouth Argyle Football Club, where he's responsible for the identification and recruitment of players at the youngest age groups from six to eight. He also supports across the rest of the academy age groups from under nine through to under 18s. Ben's introduction to football actually started as a result of the pandemic, where he channeled his passion for football through researching and looking into opportunities to get into scouting. His first experience was with Odense Bal Club, where he served as an international and opposition scout through the form of video scouting, supporting the first team. And from there, he then transitioned over to Plymouth, where he's now working with his local professional football club. Ben is someone who is clearly enthusiastic about football, considers himself a late bloomer, despite his young age. And it was refreshing hearing his story and how he's rapidly progressed in a short space of time. I'm looking forward to the listeners hearing more about his story and talking football with him. Let's lock in. Yes, Ben, thanks for joining us. Hello, Hi, no problem. Firstly, we always kick off by the guest um, introducing themselves and talking a little bit about how you got into football. So if you don't mind, um, I'll, I'll pass over to you. My role within scouting came about during, um, at the start of the pandemic, really. Um, I sort of, I've always been involved with football. I've been in and out, um, um, played for, for a number of years. Um, but never really looked into the other side, um, into scouting or coaching. I just thought it was a little bit of a closed, closed area, really, for sort of ex-pros. And um, I was actually furloughed from um, my job for nearly eighteen weeks, and I just needed something to um, to keep my mind working. So I started doing some scouting courses, did the standard talent ID one and um, PFSA and um, one with Steve Simmons at um, Football Scouting Worldwide and and just fell in love with it. Um, it's the old sort of cliche of playing football manager when you're a kid yeah. to then doing it in real life. <laughs> and you almost feel like, oh, this, this is all right. Yeah, I'm good. And um, yeah, just just fell into it like that, really. It was, it was just on the off chance that um, I wanted to keep my mind keep my mind going during furlough and I just couldn't be stuck yeah. at home doing nothing and I like to be busy so um sort of chose the right role for that because it is pretty hectic at times brilliant Ben I, and actually I want to ask you uh, an interesting question because a lot of individuals when at, at the start of getting into football from a non-playing aspect often coaching is the conventional route people choose to go down um, yeah how comes in your case you decided to go down talent identification and scouting? Um, yeah, I can, I can, I mean, I can definitely see why people do go down the coaching route. Um, 
is far more heavily involved. Um, but scouting for me, I've always, I've always had an eye for. I believe I've always had an eye for a player. So I've just you can spot someone and yeah. you just get that feel for it, don't you? And you and you just know that someone's a special talent, or um, you'll see a lad just kicking a ball around at the park, and I think. God, he's got a lovely first touch, or I would just—that's the way I would always look at it and think, yeah, he'd be a great fullback, or he'd make a great centre half, and um, it's just something I fell into. I—I I, I never really even considered the coaching role. It's—it's it's always been scouting, even from a young age. And like I said, with the old football manager, champ manager, I'd always try to find someone. I'd try and find the player for free in a team that no one had ever heard of. Yeah, and, and you think. And then two years down the line, you hear that someone signed them in re- in real life. So you think, yeah, you, know, yeah. you know, it's it's one of those. And I've I've always watched um, watched football from sort of South American league, Peru, Bolivia, um, Uruguay, that the non conventional leagues, uh, yeah. and just seen young players and thought, guy, he'd be a real talent in the Premier League, or he'd be great in La Liga, great in the Championship. Um, it's just something that's always interested me. So. So that is why I took that route, really. Oh, that's really good to hear. And having now had experience um, and relatively short experience within it um, over the last few years, yeah. just how important do you feel scouting is, especially at youth level? Um, I think it's essential, really, um, especially at pre-academy level, sort of getting the boys in the door early, um, getting that local talent Um that are, are going to look up to the club. They would support nine times out of 10, they support the club, especially in and around Plymouth. Um, they have got a huge catchment area um, being so close to Cornwall and um, you, the sevens, eights and nine year olds are essential to building your academy. So if you can get them in the door early, let the coaches work with them from as early as possible. Don't get me wrong. I believe that, Kids can go in at grassroots and probably come in at 12s, 13s and still do really well. Yeah. Um, but I think it is crucial to get that base of players so that so that at those age groups, when you're moving on to 11s, 12s, 13s and onwards, you're not looking for five, six players a year. You've got that core group that are being coached, that have been together for a few years um, already, um, that have got that knowledge of the academy system because some, to some kids it's a big shock. When they rock in at 12s, 13s, it can be can be quite difficult for them. Yeah, uh, and of course they can succeed and with hard work, of course they will. But um, it can be a little bit of a shock. So I think the pre, especially pre academy, really, really essential to you, to your academy scouting, definitely. And you're heavily involved at that age group with your respective club that you work you work at. Yeah, if I have been, yeah. What pressures do you find with that role, you know, recruiting talent at the youngest ages? Um, I think it's more so, so our neighbours are are Exeter. Um, More so how no one go in there. So you want to make sure eventually with, especially at Plymouth, it's a small city. Um, It's sort of only 300,000 people. It's, Everybody knows everyone. If there's a talent in the city, you know about them. Yeah. Um, you just want to make sure that none of your rivals are taking taking those players from your catchment area, that you're seeing them first, and that y- your judgment's right on 
um, on these players. Sort of, you could you can make a judgment on a player, and a year later, obviously, they're going to be they're going to be there with the ability. You could say, no, not for me now, but in twelve months' time, they could be at a great level um, and come on leaps and bounds. And you also want to try and you. The other side of things, you don't want to pull them out if they're in a great environment. There's some great local academies in and around Plymouth um, and great grassroots clubs that, you know what, that could be best for them for 12 months. And the, the sort of the more the pressure side of things comes from a decision. Do we bring them in now? Do we bring them in in six months time? Do we bring them in in 12 months time and potentially miss them? And and someone else comes in. Yeah. Um. So that would be more. I don't think there's necessarily much, too much pressure, but I think it's just making sure your timings are right for the player, for the club. Um, but yeah, at that young age, more so the player, um, because they might just not be ready for it um, at sevens, eights, but it could be at tens. So that's that's the biggest decision for me. I feel. Okay, and and added to that, because that's quite interesting. Added to that, what is your thought process when you're thinking of the makeup of a group because at sevens and eights there's obviously the the long-term thinking of what they'll be like at nines what's the what's your thought process um when putting together groups at pre-academy age um at that young age you can see you can identify which players got sort of the key technical attributes straight away um, it's very simple to see at that age. You can see the the kid. You can who looks like he has a couple of seconds more on the ball. Yeah. Um, you can see a player who can strike a ball from 10, 15 yards at that age further than the other players, um, and and hit it sweet every time. Um, I think the physical aspect of things. There can be people that are head and shoulders above at that young age. Um, so the physical attributes of, uh, I think are huge and where they're going to go from there with that how much they can progress if you can see a kid that gets around the pitch really well at sort of sevens and eights and maybe haven't developed in size but they can get around they're really quick, they're agile they're athletic um, looking at their parents I know it's the old cliche of well, how big's their mum? How big's their dads? Yeah. Do they have that potential to grow um, because you can see that they've got the ability there. And once you've got them in the door, you've got to trust that your coaches will do do their thing um, and, and their technical and tactical ability will, will come on leaps and bounds. But um, you can't always train the athleticism into a player or you, you can't dictate how how tall or how tall someone's going to be. And um, I think physical attributes is something that you really need to look at. But then somebody could be head and shoulders above and be a foot smaller than everyone else. And you, you see one in every every academy side at sort of 14s and 15s. There's always a, a centre midfielder or a holding midfielder who's a foot smaller. Yeah. But in incredible amount of space and time on the ball. Um, so yeah it's hard to judge obviously looking forward two or three years um, but all you can do is put them in the right area give them the right coaching and um, and hope that they get there 
Brilliant. Thanks for that. And in your time um, of getting into the, the scouting industry and recruitment within football, what are the, the sort of early um, habits and best practice that you've adopted within your own practice? Um, trying to stay out of the way. Um, especially at the younger ages. I don't like the kids seeing seeing I'm really that I'm there. Um, don't want to put any un, uh, any pr- undue pressure on them. They don't need that, that sort of sevens, eights and nines, especially if I'm going around the grassroots clubs. They don't need to see a guy standing on the halfway line with a full Plymouth Argyle tracksuit on. They, they don't need that. Um, it's going to put them off their game. Uh, making sure I'm there early, doing my due diligence. Um, Asking around, yeah, just just making sure your preparation's right. Um, always carrying the pen and pad. Um, getting your timings right. Get there early, and yeah, just I just try and stay out the way really, um, and just not. The last thing it's about is me, so I don't want the kids to all think, ah, there's a scout here today. Yeah, um, that's I do not want that. Um, they're not going to play the natural game. They're going to try and impress. They're going to try and push. They're going to try the pass they wouldn't have usually tried. They would have tried, they could have kept on hold on to the ball for an extra couple of seconds just to try and impress. And I think when you see a kid playing his natural game, that's when you see what they're about. And and when they haven't got the pressure on them or they could have enough pressure off their coaches, you never know. Um, they don't need the added pressure of having a scout there watching them. I think, I think as the age groups go up, you can sort of manage that a little bit differently. Yeah, that's a great tip, actually. And, and that speaks to uh, a certain level of awareness because at the end of the day, although there's a race to the bottom for clubs to get talent in early, you still got to consider these are six, seven-year-olds. and They're and- young kids and all they want to do is play. All they want to do is play with their mates. They're not there for anyone else. They're there for themselves just to play with their friends. And you need to respect that. I, th- I think that's. I think it's it's key for me anyway. Personally, that's just my that's just my personal view on things. But other other people are different, and you do hear some horror stories sometimes, which is not great. But of um, pushy scouts or coaches. But I, yeah, I generally believe you just got to let them play, and and if and they'll shine through in the end, and and you'll see you'll see the same or even if not better results. Um, from them not knowing you're there. Yeah, no, I think that's definitely a great point and an area to consider for scouts. So I've got a few themes um, that revolve around scouting and I, and I wanted to get your, your views on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the discussions that there's been many schools of thought um, on over the last few few years, especially as scouting has progressed within football. Yeah. Um, the first one being nature versus nurture. Yep. What are your views on that? Um, I think you need to be at a certain. Everybody needs to be at a certain level to get to get um, to get scouted in the first place to get to get brought into these academies. Um, you've got that natural ability there that um, has got you to the front door. Now, nurturing that talent, 
giving your trust to the coaches and letting them do their thing and allowing the player to develop is essential. Um, I think you do need to have that. I personally look for that natural technical ability um, before before all else. Um, but that is something that can be worked on. That's just my that's just my preference. Um, and with great coaching, a lot of great a lot of great players have come out of being brought in for their uh, athletic ability. Yeah, and and then been produced into Premier League footballers. But for for me personally, I, I always look for the technical lads first. If they can get around the pitch, that's a Brucey bonus, and you know you're on to a winner. Um, but I love that clean first touch. I love a kid that's got space and awareness and scans well and just naturally. I yeah. love that. Um, so that natural ability that comes with that um, is fantastic, yeah. That's interesting because you spoke about the, the differences um, in scouting and choice when it comes to scouts. So, so I mean, you personally, you you favour technical proficiency and some yeah. may, may lean heavily towards the athletical capabilities. Mm-hmm. So that... This is quite a nice segue into the next thing I wanted to discuss, which is subjectivity and differences of opinions. And yeah. you being at the very heart and centre of it with your club, um, you know, working with other scouts and, and coaches as well, obviously. Yeah. Um, how do you go around navigating um, the difference of opinion and subjectivity? Yeah, it's a really interesting area, really, because um, you quite often find that you you'll get a guy in on trial and a coach will come and say to you, well, he's no better than what we've got. Um, and that is quite often, quite often the case because, I mean, coaches do get, they've had the boys for a couple of years. You're protective over the guys that you've had. You've got those, built those relationships and sometimes they don't want players coming in disrupting that. Um, and it's all about trust, really. I, I think um, you've got to trust that what I've seen over the three or four games yeah. to, to to get him to the point where I want to bring him in on a trial or bring him in on a straight sign. And I think that he's that good or she's that good. Um, I think the, the trust's a massive thing. Um Everybody's got a different opinion of a player. Everybody's got a different profile, personal profile that they look at in a player. Um, you've got to align those early doors. Um, it's just, it's key to have discussions as and talk as much as possible. And especially for scouts in an academy environment where it's voluntary, um, you may not get access to the coaches as much. So I found myself going up to training um, midweek training just to just to watch Plymouth's coaches, watch them coach, get yapping to them, see what they like in a player, see what would fit into the team. So you're almost um, you're almost overcoming those hurdles early, yeah. Um, so that then you can sort of almost see what 
an opposing view is going to look like from that coach. And you know, if you're bringing in a player, they need to be outstanding if they're going to be not quite what the coach wants. Um, but yeah, I think it's just key to do your due diligence, talk to the talk to the coaches as much as possible, communication. Um, and and in the end, you'll um, you'll find your way with it. Excellent. How much do you consider birth bias? Personally, um, I don't. <laughs> no, I don't really. Um, I think if they're good enough, they're that. That's that's all I look at. Um, I know quite often you you'll see. Um, I'm not sure what under 18s team it was um, in the FA Youth Cup recently, but I think they, I think um, ten of the eleven starting players were of the latter latter half of the year. Yeah. So that's just proof that they don't always need to have an August September kids um, in in the academy. And if you're good enough, you're good enough. Um, I obviously see the difference when you're looking at. Or when you're looking at sort of a um, an October child, and then you've got an August in the year, in the same year, and they're almost a year in the, in behind. But you know, eventually, when they get to 16, 17, it's all going to play catch up. Um, they're all going to get to their sort of size or development that everybody hits a stop eventually. Yeah, and I yeah. think if you've got that ability, and the kid's got the ability to to play at that level, then it doesn't really affect my decision-making at all, to be honest. Thank you. What about development centres and ID centres? Yeah, yeah, like um, there's plenty around in the Southwest um, and they do good things. Um, they, they almost do a little bit of your scouting for you. So they can make it a little bit easier. Um, they've generally got some good coaches, um, which can only help the kids. Um, and I think they can prove to be one of a, a good little stepping stone from your your grassroots club stepping into these talent sort of talent ID centres and sort of private academy sort of centres that you've got. Um, they can be a great stepping stone into sort of full-time academy football. They can sort of get a player a feel for it. Um, but ultimately, if you're doing your scouting properly and you're doing it right, um, you should be avoiding, you should be identifying these players before they go into these development centres. Um, they should be there or thereabouts anyway. You can always... I find them quite handy to recommend a player to a development centre, see how they get on. Um, and if, you, if you're not, not too sure if they're, they're, they're ready straight away to come into the academy setting, um, a development centre can just give them that extra one or two sessions a week training yeah. um, and maybe a higher standard game on the weekend. Um, and you can see how they get a feel for it and sort of what... Um, what they look like stepping up a level um, rather than stepping up maybe two levels into an academy. It might, they might find it overwhelming. So yeah, yeah, I think they're, they're a great thing, especially 
um, regional centres where they can pull in players from all over the place. So you can really have a good look at good look at some talent. Brilliant. Thanks, Ben. I wanted to ask, how much do you think and well, how much do you feel the involvement and engagement of multi-sports from young players um, at, at a young age can affect scouting um, for professional football clubs? Um, I think it's essential that kids play multiple sports. Um, we all love football. Of course we do, else we wouldn't be here doing this podcast and we wouldn't be doing the roles that we're doing. But I believe giving kids options is only going to help the kids in the long run. I think their athleticism that they can get from different sports and sort of key little attributes that you can pick up from other sports can only help you in the long run. Um, in terms of how it affects scouting, um, it's hard sometimes because you get some really talented lads that are multi-sport and they could go either way they could be playing fly half in rugby yeah. or they could be a winger or they could be a winger in both sports football and rugby or they could be really good at tennis and and that's just a decision that the kid has to make I think the, the, there can't be any pressure from anywhere anywhere else other than letting the letting the kid decide where they want to where they want to want their path to to go um but I think it really, really helps kids' development, um, allowing them to be multi-sport, allowing them, because at the end of the day, it's allowing them to be themselves. If they want to go and play rugby once a week and they want to play football once a week, then you take one of them away from them and all of a sudden that, that child's going to be unhappy because they're not getting their satisfaction out of sport. Yeah. Um, they're being almost forced to go down one path i know it's hard for a lot of families and i don't mean it as in and parents wise i mean it sort of pressures from the coaches or the staff around the different sports um because it's hard for parents to take kids to football rugby tennis badminton four day, four nights a week and do all that traveling or again getting just the bus fares alone can be can be mega but um I think in terms of the coaches and staff at the, the different sports, you just need to let them run, let them run with it. I mean, ultimately, there's going to be a, a time where you're going to have to choose. Um, but that's up to the child. Well, that's up to the young, the sort of teenager. Um, they need to make that decision for themselves. But I generally believe that multi-sport and a multi-sport upbringing is only going to develop the child and give them different views, different opinions, um, let them look at things differently. They could learn something in on a rugby pitch or playing cricket that they might be able to use in football. So you, you never know what they're going to pick up. So I think the more that more opportunities they've got to learn, so the more sports they're playing, the more they're going to learn. Um, I think it's essential, really, yeah. Yeah, and that speaks to a, a child-centred approach, actually, allowing the child to do what what it is that they want to do and that intrinsic oh, yeah. helps long term doesn't it yeah definitely if the kid's happy and um they feel that they're getting out of it what they want to get out and they're not being stopped they're not having the brakes put on 
then they'll get lo they would get loads more out of it. Excellent. What has helped you during your time during your time in scouting? And what, what would you say the things or what experiences, whether they whether it be a, a coaching uh, sorry scouting course or um, conversations with mentors, what's helped you during your time scouting? I think for me, um, the mentoring side of things has really really helped. Talking to as many people, networking, um, getting different points of view. Um, a lot of the groups you you'll have your WhatsApp groups and your your Telegram groups, and they really really help seeing other people's opinions. Um, they might not necessarily be yours, um, but I think different points of view can sort of open your eyes to certain things, make you look at things differently. Um, the mentoring side of things has really helped me. Actually, I've been reaching out recently to to a few people just to try and get a little bit of extra mentoring because um, I always want to learn, always want to develop. And they're sort of from scouts that are in sort of senior roles at big clubs, big European clubs, just to sort of find out the way they work. Sort of like I said with my um, preparation before a game, say, yeah. how do they do it? How do they look at things? What do what are the key aspects of a game they look at? Generally, it's generic answers because you'll learn and you know what you're looking for. But there might be those key little takeaways that you think amazing. I'm going to use that in the future, um, and just take as many notes as possible. Um, for me, I I need to write everything down. Or I sort of yeah, I, I write things down constantly. Um, and just love to learn off my peers, really. Um, the courses are great, don't get me wrong, the online courses, but I think you love live scouting's the the key. You get out, get out there with your notepad and pen, get live scouting. It doesn't matter what standard of football it is, because you can it's the same principle for everything. Um, and especially if it was someone just starting out, I'd say just get out to a local grassroots game, pick a player and focus on them for the game. If that's, if it's the talent ID side of things you want to go down, if it's the tactical side of scouting, then look how the teams line up. And it doesn't matter what level they are, you, you'll be able to pick aspects of their tactical game out and, and report on that. And with the sort of player talent ID scouting, pick a player. Like I said, does not matter what standard of football it is, pick a player, write about them keep writing reports, report writing, report writing, get yourself used to it, how the layouts are, get yourself a little template, make it yourself, um, or ask one of your peers. Um, there's plenty going around in all of the groups that I'm in. I know that people are asking for templates constantly mm -hmm. and just um, just keep developing yourself and the live practice is essential. That's good advice. Is there any other um, bits of info or advice you'd like to give aspiring scouts um sort of take your time doesn't have to be you don't have to um i sort of had to step back and think when i first started i set up a linkedin page i i contacted 200 people straight away tried to get my cv out there and i know everyone's keen to do that 
Yeah. And to some extent it worked for me, but never rush yourself. If you get offered a role and you're not happy with it, it's sometimes it's hard to turn things down. Of course it is. But don't spread yourself too thin. If you you can you see some people doing five, six, seven different roles, and you think, where have you got the time to do all of that? Give yourself a really good run at one or two roles where you can give it your all, really get in depth, um, reports written out for them. Um, and just practice, 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 get to every live game you possibly can. Um, and that time allows you to. Don't feel the pressure if you can't, because there's plenty of games online. So I think video for development as well, video scouting is really, really good. Um, if you can't get out to your live games, you can watch a game anywhere. Um, so there's plenty on YouTube. The, all the FA Youth Cup games are on there. So you're looking at a great standard. And just watch as much football as you can. and yeah, talk to as many people as you can, watch as much football as you can, um, and just remember that the kids are the main focus. If they're happy, then then in the end, they're going to come through. Brilliant. How would you like to see the industry further professionalised? Good question. Um. In terms of training, maybe um, more accessible courses. I think um, I'm more accessible to grassroots. So I know you've got, like, say, your level, level one FA talent ID that every, everyone can access. That it's, it's online, it's free. Yeah. Um, but that's where it stops. There's nothing moving forward from that. And at the level one, you don't... There's certain little takeaways you get from it. But if you've been in and around football, playing, the majority of it you'll know anyway, I think. Um, and then you're moving on to paying 1,500 quid for a course, which just at grassroots level or even in academy level, it's not affordable. Um, just more affordable training. I think the industry could do with that being more... Um, accessible for people outside of the game so that are coming in. I think I've done, um, I've been welcomed in from sort of, like I said at the start, I had a bias that it was really hard to get into football if you weren't the next pro. Yeah. Um, and I think in some places it is still, don't get me wrong. Um, I found it brilliant. There's been lots of great people that I've spoke to that have really helped me. Um, but it is still something that the industry can work on. Um, also, you see a lot of job adverts where they want a sports science degree for an academy scout, and that's not something like that. On a personal level, I just don't agree with it. Um, obviously, it, it can help. Obviously. <laughs> Education's fantastic, but I don't necessarily think you need a sports science degree to go and watch a seven, eight, nine-year-old kick a ball around. But perhaps they're looking for uh, knowledge of biomechanics in six-year-olds. 
yeah you never know i don't know what they're looking for in that but um yeah i'm never gonna turn my nose up to to education of course i'm not and and i don't mean it in that sense but i think it's just it takes away a lot of people's chances yeah um and it doesn't it's sort of less inclusive for people to get in get involved when they when they look at something like that and it you see voluntary roles and they expect a degree or it's just not i don't necessarily think it's doable um and you still see those job adverts going out for months and months and months and that probably proves that point because there's plenty of guys out there who want to be given a chance um but maybe like myself stepped into it a little bit later i'm 30 years old now um i only started when i was sort of 27 28 um and it's fantastic for the for the young lads and girls that are coming through university level yeah um and that are taking that route sort of um but for the latter or the the older um or just people that generally haven't been been into uni i think courses and roles need to be a little bit more accessible brilliant and, and and understandable as well that is understandable um i have a question which i didn't mention earlier and I, and since you since you referenced video scouting i just wanted to know with the emergence of data and especially at first team level and senior yep. level, it becoming more prominent do you ever think there will be a place for data and objectivity at youth level which is very heavily led on the scout's eye and live scouting? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, it's a good question. It's it's completely dependent on age, I think. I think if you're sort of looking at stats for, you say, and to be fair, a lot, of, a lot of the top academies are from sort of U13, U14 up, then it's completely understandable. You can see where they're going. You can see how their development, how their physical development's going, in fact. So it's not it's not a um, subject to an opinion. Yeah. Um, so, oh, he's got quicker this year. Well, let me have a look at the stats, and this proves that he has. Um, and it's backed up by fact, which is brilliant, and I love that. Um, and it makes scouting easier. Of course, it does because you're seeing what you're what you're saying and writing down is being proven. Um, and like I said, it's not subject to opinion. Sort of the the younger ages, um, I don't think, no matter what the stats are at sort of sevens, eights and nines, I don't think you can really predict what their bodies are going to do at 11s, 12s and 13s. And, uh, and I think that's a key age when you when your kids are going from primary to secondary school, sort of your year eight to year nine age, your body develops so differently and it changes a lot doesn't it so um i don't necessarily think at the younger ages that data is really required i think you need to see a kid enjoying his football with the little bit with that bit of ability um with that little bit of wow factor or that little bit of wow factor in his physical attributes that you think god he's he's flying past people or this kid's got an unbelievable first touch. I don't really think you need to get data involved in that. Um, 
at that, a young age anyway. Thanks for touching on that, Ben. No problem. Right. Just before we wrap up, we do have a quick fire quiz. Um, it's the triple P quiz based on the three pillars at Lionheart football, passion, purpose, potential. Um, the, the key is, and the objective is for you to answer the questions in as many, in, in as few, sorry, words as possible. Right, okay. Um, beginning with, why is football scouting your passion? Um, because I love to see children get a chance and develop on their, on their talents. Excellent. What is the purpose of your role? To identify the next Lionel Messi. <laughs> Big task. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, just to just to identify the, the, the best local talent. Excellent. Last one. How can a player fulfill their potential? Hard work. Simple. That's brilliant. And that um, wraps us up. Ben. Thank you. I really appreciate your time and thank you for joining us. Um, it's been a pleasure, mate. Thank you for having me on. No worries. And if there was any aspiring scouts who I'm sure will listen to this and do listen to this, wanted to connect, would you be happy to, to network and people? Yeah, absolutely. I'm always, I'm always happy to, um, to pass on a little bit of knowledge that I have and um, to help and push people in the right direction and, just add me on LinkedIn. Um, I haven't got any other social medias, to be fair. Um, scouting didn't allow me to have the time for that. <laughs> that is, that's, a, that's a true scout working behind the scenes. We'll put your LinkedIn profile in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. Just just pop me in LinkedIn and um, pop me a, pop me a private message, and I'll always be happy to uh, always be happy to help. Ben. thanks, my man. Top man, Ben. Thank you. Ledge, cheers. Thank you.